What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. What a play! Can you believe this? No, I can't. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Off to the races, and he stays on his feet. This is going to go the distance. Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. Welcome to Beyond the Box Score. Advanced stats from simple people. We are fired up for our first edition here of the 2023 season, recapping week one. You know, the Sunday night recap is a lot of fun. I very much enjoy that show. It's very emotional. It's raw. It's right after the games have ended. You know, you're mad about things. You're excited about things. You get that. But this is the deeper dive, okay? You read the recaps. You look at the box scores a little bit closer. You get the advanced stats. You watch the tape or the film, whatever it's on these days. And you react to it, and you get some more informed opinions, especially when you take a look at the snap counts and how that breaks down. So we're excited for this, and I hope you're all excited too. For those of you waiting on YouTube, thanks a lot for hanging around. We had some Schneier-related uh, delays today. <laughs> True. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Um, it's better than what you did, what you had you referred to Heath last night on the show. I did. Yeah, I was mad about that. That's okay. That was out there for the world Adam to consume. I'm a loser. <laughs> <laughs> snapped off. You know, I understand. He snaps me off too when he refers to the Giants. He just, the way he talks about Daniel Jones and the Giants, it's as if he didn't watch half of the other quarterbacks play football yesterday. Don't worry about him. We have, we will recap the Sunday night game. That's the one game we didn't get to on Sunday night show. You heard Dan, Jacob Gibbs. Welcome to be on the box score, Jacob. Your creation. It is so, so good to be back. We got a lot to talk about. Yeah, and if people are wondering why we're delayed, we have a question here from Albert. Was Dan's toilet clogged? Probably probably what it was. So yesterday was not a great fantasy day. The quarterback struggled, uh, got a little bit better later in the day. You know, there was a lot of bad weather yesterday, so there's that. There was also a lack of preseason involvement. We heard Nick Sirianni kind of lamenting not getting the Eagles in at all, the Eagles starters in during the preseason. So hopefully things pick up. 
Before we get into all the advanced stats and the things to know, and it basically a whole show about Puka Nakua, I have a feeling. Because the first person I ever heard talk about Puka Nakua after the draft was Jacob Gibbs. We did an episode, and he was like, I really want to talk about Puka Nakua. I'm, I'm thinking, what? Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, man. We'll get into that. But Dallas, 40, and the Giants, nothing. And Dallas recorded seven sacks and pressured Daniel Jones on 68.2% of his dropbacks. 68.2% of his dropbacks, he was pressured. The second highest pressure rate last week or in week one was Green Bay at 56.3% against Justin Fields. All right, Dan, other than vomiting many, many times, what was your reaction to this embarrassment here? But from a fantasy standpoint, what, what did you see? From a fantasy standpoint, there is going to be a lot to be discussed if Andrew Thomas, the Giants' star left tackle, all-pro left tackle, who's going for an MRI today on his hamstring, who, by the way, injured his hamstring on the first, on that punt block, or field goal block return for a touchdown. They put him back into the game, despite game film that I posted on Twitter before this podcast, Adam, that showed on the interception return for a touchdown. He gave it his all trying to fight over to make the tackle. Fla- basically couldn't move and fell to the ground and yet played another two quarters in a blowout loss, which, by the way, I have a lot of qualms with Coach Brian Dable about doing that. But if that injury got worse by him playing through it and this MRI comes back bad for the Giants, this, to me, will be an exact replica of what we saw with the Chargers and Justin Herbert last year. What was that? It was an offense that, while everyone blames Joe Lombardi for, the reality situation was, if you can't trust your password action, you cannot run a traditional drop-back offense. That leads to things like play action, roll out, bootleg, run the ball. And in that spot, I will downgrade the entire Giants offense and passing attack. I become very worried about Darren Waller. I become very worried about anyone breaking out in the passing game. I become very worried about Daniel Jones. Because if you can't pass protect, and last night the Giants could not pass protect with Andrew Thomas on the field, they are going to be in a much worse situation without him. Things will get really dire. So that is my main takeaway for fantasy. Follow the Andrew Thomas news at left tackle. It's going to be really bad for the Giants this year, unfortunately. Now, not every D-line will be the Cowboys. Cowboys D-line made them look like a Super Bowl contender last night, Adam. They really did. Mm -hmm. That's not going to be every week. But regardless, the Chargers just went through this last year. We saw what it did to their fantasy offense. And I don't and I know what it can do if the Giants lose their star left tackle. So my main concern right now is the pass protection and the injury to Andrew Thomas. Okay. I was also con- a little concerned about Tua yesterday because he didn't have Teron Armstead. And we saw in 2022 he was terrible without Teron Armstead, and he was the best player in fantasy basically yesterday. So uh, but you're right. I mean, they don't have they just don't have a good offensive line without Andrew Thomas. Um Waller though, I mean, the Waller's stat line not good, but he didn't play basically. He played 5 snaps in the second half. Mm-hmm. So Waller had was the only giant that had more than 7 receiving yards in the first half. He and Barkley were the only ones who had any receiving yards, and Waller had 3 for 36 on 5 targets in a half basically, in which the Giants just, you know, played the worst game they could possibly play. So um, I, you know, I, if you're sitting there concerned about Darren Waller, and that's actually one of the questions we have, we have five big topics today. We'll talk about tight ends. Really wasn't that bad of a game. He, he was super involved, led the team in routes and targets uh, in the first half by a mile in targets. So um, I think that's exactly what you wanted to see. It just was obviously an awful game. On the flip side, Jacob, what are your Cowboys impressions? Anything from Dallas? Um, the one thing I know in Dallas is I love to see Tony Pollard with a 67% route involvement rate. Um, that's a percentage of the team's dropbacks that he ran a route on. That's exactly what 
his rate was in previous games without Ezekiel Elliott that we had seen. And so this offseason, I read about which running backs could get to 85 or more targets. That's five targets per game. And the reason I use that benchmark is that has led to RB1 upside. That's kind of like been needed for true RB1 upside. And are you saying, are you saying the number one running back? The number one running back in fantasy. And okay. I think Pollard absolutely can get that. And just to see him right away filling that role is really exciting. There are a lot of things here. I'm Brandon Cooks had a bad game, but we'll wait and see. Very few pass attempts, right? 24 pass yes. attempts for Dak, 143 yeah. yards. But Jake Ferguson. Jake Ferguson yeah. had seven targets. He had every red zone target for the Cowboys, four. He had the only end zone target for the Cowboys. That's all great news. Bad news is he played pretty badly. He yeah. had two drops. But I don't think you should just drop Jake Ferguson because he filled that Dallas tight end role. You know, he didn't do a great job, but he... He filled the role. Like the role is there. That was a good sign, at least in week one. So something to keep in mind. And I do have the you and the crew. Week. Adam did a great job this offseason, just breaking down how valuable that role is. The Cowboys tight end in a Dak Prescott offense. So I think you follow what you just talked about and what Jacob just talked about. The targets, the volume, more so than the drops, because the drops will come and go. So I think he is definitely someone on the tight end one radar rest of season. And for what it's worth on Ferguson, his per route data last year on a decent amount of routes was better than anything we've seen from Dalton Schultz. Mm -hmm. Like it was significantly better than Schultz as a rookie. And then Schultz didn't get to the same yard per route run that Ferguson had last year as a rookie until his fourth year in Dallas. So I think there's definitely upside there. All right. That is the Giants and the Cowboys, or really just the Cowboys. 40 nothing, they win, and their DST changed a lot of fantasy games last <laughs> night. That's for sure. Uh, tonight, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, join us live, youtube.com slash today for a little bit of a live stream, chatting, whatever you want to talk about, whatever's on your mind. Uh, if you have start-sit questions for Monday night, great. If you have waiver wire questions, great. Whatever you want to talk about, join us live at 7.30 until about 8.10, 8.15, a little bit before kickoff, uh, youtube.com slash today. Let's take a look at the news and notes. J.K. Dobbins, of course, tore his Achilles. We talked about it yesterday. Do you guys have any strong feelings about Gus Edwards versus Justice Hill or maybe taking a shot on Kareem Hunt or Leonard Fournette or Melvin Gordon or something like that? My my feelings on this, are, and we're going to get to this when we have our section about breaking down the tape on Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore, offense Raven, uh, Baltimore Ravens offense. This is, and I'll get to more of this later, the worst Ravens offensive line I've seen in my entire lifetime since I started watching football in 2000. And that was when I really got into it. I thought that both, and this, I, I compare it to the film I watched last year because we did a J.K. Dobbins segment on Beyond the Box Score at the end of last season once he came back. And there were good holes. And I think part of the issue is you go away from Greg Roman, who had his issues calling pass plays as an offensive coordinator, but really designed the run incredibly well for the Ravens over the last several years. You have Todd Monken, a new offensive coordinator, didn't see much diversity in the run game. And also, there wasn't many good one-on-one -on -one blocks either. And they did have major injuries in this game. Ronnie Staley left this game with a knee injury, did not return. That's their left tackle. Their starting center, Tyler Linderbaum. These are two of their best, if not best, offensive linemen. Left the game with an ankle injury, did not return. So we'll talk a little bit more about this because it was worse in pass protection than the run game. But I did feel like there was the worst blocking I've seen and the worst play from the Ravens offensive line in a single game since I can remember watching this team. Uh, and those two guys, they did play, Stanley and Linderbaum. They played most of the game. Stanley played 80%. Linderbaum yeah, played over 90%. So it's not like they were hurt the whole game. 
the Texans had the 12th highest pressure rate. It actually was a strength of the Texans last year. They were pretty good at pressuring the quarterback. Um, all right, but but <laughs> do you want to pick up yeah. <laughs> Guess Edwards or Justice Hill or someone else? As far as fantasy goes, I'm, I'm going to be looking to pick up Edwards. I feel like Edwards took the first two drives after the Tobbins injury, which stands out to me. Also, he did make a couple interesting runs where he was really decisive, got through the hole, picked up his four to six. And I think that's something they'll probably be looking for. So Edwards would be my early lean. Jacob, who's the running back that you want to add right now? I would assume Kenneth Gainwell would be number one. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we have Edwards. We have uh, Kyron Williams. We have Roshan Johnson, maybe in some leagues. Uh, who's the running back you'd want to add? Gainwell's clearly the guy. Honestly, it was kind of a disappointing week for running backs. Normally, we have at least one or two guys to stand out in week one, but no one really is that exciting to me. Um, Roshan, I like as a prospect, and I think he's the only one in Chicago's backfield who has the chance to potentially fill like a three-down kind of role because he can play on passing downs. So uh, he's somebody who I drafted some in deeper leagues, so I think he's worth a speculative ad because he had a good week one. Okay, here's let's do trivia. Gus Edwards has played 53 games in his career. How many catches does he have? <laughs> Fifty-three. Yeah, I think it's single digits. 18. Okay. All right, more news items for you here. Deontay Johnson, we know that. I'll just try to... I don't know anything new on Deontay Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, Pittsburgh lo- Pittsburgh had a rough day. Not only did they get their butts kicked, they lost Deontay Johnson, Cameron Hayward, Cameron Hayward and Chuk Okorafor, who's their right tackle. He's in the concussion protocol. protocol. Anthony Richardson said he actually hurt his knee in the first quarter when he hit it on the turf, and then he left in the final minute a yard away from the end zone, and Gardner Minshew could not get them in. Greg Dulcich leg. Aaron Jones sent he, said he felt, I think he said he felt a pinch in his hamstring. He doesn't seem too concerned. Jacoby Myers, concussion. Yeah, Baltimore, in addition to losing two offensive linemen and J.K. Dobbins, starting safety Marcus Williams left in the, first, in the second quarter. Um, that's what basic. is it with the Ravens and injuries? Oh, man. more more offensive lines have actually both Seattle offensive tackles left with injuries. Hmm. They are at Detroit. Aiden Hutchinson could have a field day in Week Two. But did that, you mention Jack Conklin? Conklin is out for the season. Right tackle yep. for the Browns. That's tough. Cool. ACL and MCL. Pat Fryermuth got hurt too. I haven't heard anything. He on came that back. Injury. Did he come back? Yeah, he came back. Okay. Um, Minnesota lost starting center Garrett Bradbury in the second quarter. He missed five games last year, and both you know the Patriots had a lot of trouble running the football, and they faced a talented defensive front. Uh, their rookie first round pick Jalen Carter led the team with six pressures. By the way, saw that on ESPN for the awesome. Eagles. But um, the 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 Patriots were playing without both of their starting guards. They were inactive in that game. Let's uh let's get to some snap counts. Actually, you know what? Jacob's been waiting long enough. Let's get to some advanced stats. <laughs> what do you got on the advanced stats front that really jumps out from week one? Hmm. So Darren Waller, we mentioned. Actually, no, we'll get to him in the the actual question. Puka Nakua, we got to start there. You you brought up uh, that episode we did on Beyond the Boxport this summer where we talked about Puka, and I want to bring up Luke Musgrave as well. Both those guys have had strong camps, looked really good in week one, and both of them were featured in that episode. Dan brought up Luke Musgrave. That was back in like early May or something. So Nakua had 15 targets, um, and the reason that that is really important outside of the result is that he had the highest target per route run rate, um, career target per route run rate at the college level of any prospect coming in to this year's draft. And of wide receiver prospects over the past five years, his career yard per route run rate is higher than anyone other than Jalen Waddle. So he legit might be really good. He just had a disjointed career due to injuries and other things. 
I think that's why I fell to the fifth round, but they've loved him. This has been a steady drumbeat all summer that has been leading up to this. I really don't think it's a fluke. Um, and then the other guy to mention is Tutu Atwell played really well in that game too. And everybody loves to write off Tutu. If you look at Tutu's career numbers at this point, he's averaging almost two yards per route run on over 200 routes. And so I think he's also interesting. I think one of those two guys is going to win the flanker spot. It's whoever Stafford's going to trust more. And they're definitely going to draw targets over Van Jefferson. I think they could draw targets over Tyler Higby. That's what we saw in week one. So I think even when Cooper Cup is back, Stafford looked really good. Great. Yeah. I wouldn't so be surprised. I, I, I didn't, the PFF grades aren't out, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of the top you know, three quarterbacks. The EPA per drop back, I think it was two and number one and Stafford number two, I think I saw this morning on True Media. He was great. Yeah. Um, Nico Collins is another guy that we have to bring up. I, I love Nico. He's another guy where the per route data is really important because he's had a disjointed career at the NFL level. Um, but when he's been on the field, he's shown real progress over the last few years. And that carried over into week one, 11 targets, 158 air yards, 61% of Houston's air yards. He's the clear cut wide receiver one in an offense that's going to be playing from behind a lot. And I really thought they would lean on the ground game here and just kind of handle CJ Stroud with the kick gloves. But CJ Stroud dropped back past 52 times. That's the second most of any quarterback in week one. So if we see anything like this going forward, I think part of that is you don't want to run against Baltimore. Right. But like, yeah. man, that there's just like massive, massive upside for Nico Collins if this role is replicable in terms of the dropbacks. I want to talk a little bit about Puka Nakua, Adam, if I can, yeah. just because that's a player who I got a chance to watch on film. Obviously, Jacob discussed him. And I really want to give you credit, first of all, Jacob, for bringing him up on that May show that we discussed because he was not someone who was on my radar. I didn't get a chance to watch any pre-draft film on him. And then I started to watch him a little bit more after that episode. And then in this game against the Seattle Seahawks' first game, I got to say, I think he could be real. I think this could be the... He's good. I think this could legitimately be the free agent pickup of week one and potentially the year. I was incredibly surprised. The two reps that stand out the most I want to bring up both happen at the end of the game in the fourth quarter. The first one was was 7.50 in quarter four. And this is just for anyone who does buy NFL Game Pass and does have a chance to watch the tape and maybe wants to go back and watch. The route I'm talking about at 7.50 with, in, in the fourth quarter, it was a corner route that he ran. And the hand fighting through contact at first, at, at, through the contact point, and then the ability to extend away from his frame, make the catch near the sideline, tap the toes in and get in, that was a really good play. But I was even more impressed by a play a couple plays later with 5.07 left in the fourth quarter, where he just had a, ran a vertical route and immediately won off the line of scrimmage with a really incredible release. I'm looking for releases off the line of scrimmage when I'm watching vertical routes of receivers because the receivers who are the best in the NFL to me are the ones who can create that separation off the line of scrimmage just using their feet, just using their head fakes, just not get letting the corners who, by the way, in this specific rep I'm referring to, the corner had press man coverage, not get that jam. And he stacked the receiver, got two to three steps. You guys might remember this one. It was down the left sideline. Yeah, I It remember. was just overthrown for Matt Stafford. That was like, that a, was, that was like a 40 yard touchdown or something. He a missed it. Touchdown yeah. out there to add to his already incredible stat line. And it was against a, Tariq Woolen, their best and it corner. Was against Tariq mm -hmm. Woolen. Exactly, Adam, who was a great corner last year. Great point as well. So a lot of what he did in this game was kind of just beat these cover six looks, a lot of deep digs. And that was kind of just, in my opinion, Sean McVay taking advantage of the opposing defensive coordinator's game plan and really doing a great job there. But 
Those two routes specifically looked like really good routes. And he also had a really nice post catch move to get 16 yards on a third down early in the game. One of his only slot snaps. He played most of his snaps on the boundary. I don't know if people expect him to be a slot receiver, but I like the fact that he won on the boundary because that means once Cooper cup does return to the field, there's still a big role for him here. Mm -hmm. And I got to say this last part. I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned at how well the Rams offensive line played in this game because all offseason we heard this is going to be one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. They had to trade with the Steelers to get somebody on their roster at the end of camp. And last year we had a similar, and I'm not saying this is going to be the same thing. It's only week one. It's only one game. But I was a little bit thinking this was a tough matchup against the Seahawks. They have a solid D-line. But all last year we said, let's not buy into any Raiders. This O-line is going to be so bad for the Raiders. We can't do Josh Jacobs. We can't do Adams. The O-line is going to be so bad. And it just turned out to not matter last year. The scheme was good enough. The O-line was better than expected. I wonder if the Rams are going to be in a similar situation this year with Stafford looking this good already. And honestly, just the O-line blocked better than I could have ever expected. I thought it would derail the entire game. It did not. So these are things that I'm looking at in week one. I was incredibly impressed with Akua. And honestly, in the leagues that he's not in, I will be spending a, I shouldn't say this on the show because a lot of people listen to this show that are in my leagues, mm -hmm. but I will be allocating a nice chunk toward him in free agent uh, tomorrow night. Yeah, I will too. I, I only have one concern and maybe I shouldn't be concerned because Seattle, I think they gave up the third fewest fantasy points to wide receivers last year. They were terrific, and they did not have Devin Witherspoon, their first-round pick in this game, but uh, and they didn't have Jamal Adams either, but uh, they didn't have those guys last year. But, I mean, look at the schedule. We got San Francisco this week. We got Cincinnati after that. I, I think they're going to be good on defense, but can't really tell from week one. Indianapolis, okay. Uh, that's a good matchup. Philadelphia, Arizona's good. Pittsburgh, Dallas, Green Bay, then a bye. It's not great, but I, I think you just have to, you can't be concerned about it. I mean, McVay can scheme these guys open. He get he can get open so easily. Nakua is a great route runner, as Dan already detailed. So he's great uh, with the ball in a sense too. He had yeah, like 250 right. yards and five rushing touchdowns in his last season. Like, yeah, he's wow. really really good. That route on the third down, Jacob. He had a really good post catch move to create another nine yards. All I right. want to hit on a few tight ends quickly. Yeah, uh, Luke Musgrave, 80 percent route involvement, had more air yards than any tight end. He had. Boy. 18 yard average depth of target and he could add two touchdowns easily um he's he's legit all the hype that we've seen in terms of the role he's gonna play is real yeah um, let's let's pump the brakes a little bit no christian watson and romeo dobbs played fewer than half the snaps so i could just, see him having a low target rate but i'm just saying he's out there on the field 80 percent of the time running routes that's huge okay Durham Smythe, you want to talk about people running a ton of routes? Great offense. 90% round involvement rate, Adam. Don't, don't really realize that. Seven targets in the first half. I think he's somebody for deeper leagues. That's and then Dolphins, the last one. Dolphins tight end, Durham Smythe. Go ahead. Yeah. You can roll your eyes at this when everyone does. Chig Okonkwo, 75% round involvement rate is way, way better than what we saw last year. Oh, he, he didn't do a touchdown, but Ryan Tannehill yeah. made the worst throw I've seen of the week. He had no one, the cleanest pocket did I've you, ever seen. Did you see his what throw to. To Tajay Spears, that was just as bad. He is—is is he shot? I don't. That's one of the, shot. Yeah, that's one of the biggest questions. Like I said, the PFF grades. I wouldn't be surprised if he's the lowest graded quarterback. He, he, he yeah. was so he two bad. Wide open touchdowns. Yeah, it was bad. But I'm just excited to see him out there because he really playing time is the only issue for Okonkwo last year. Yeah, All right, good stuff. I mean, Burks played a ton. Okonkwo played a ton. Neither of them did anything. Tannehill was horrible. Uh, but but Tannehill was bad no matter who they played. But the Saints, second half of the year, they basically had the best defense in football. Fewest sure. yards per play. I think second fewest points per game. Uh, they didn't have such 
hard competition, but they were really good. We have uh, a quick, yeah. quick Calvin Ridley stat. Yeah, yeah. Thirty-six percent first read rate. So he was the first read for Trevor Lawrence thirty-six percent of the time, which would have ranked third last year. This is per Fantasy Points Suite data suite, and this is also per the data suite. Last year, Trevor Lawrence threw to his first rate at the highest rate of any quarterback in the NFL. Ooh. And I think he's really just really going to be locked into Calvin Ridley. I had a bold take, and it was backed by data that really could be the wide receiver one, like uh, the wide receiver one in fantasy this year. And it's it makes sense with the amount of routes and targets that are going to be produced in that offense. And if Lawrence is just locked in him, like we saw in week one, like I I think it's full send. I think he's like a top five fantasy receiver. Yep. Wow. I'll just go through a few advanced stats quickly, and then, Dan, you can take over if you have any. Uh, Justin Fields averaged a career low 4.1 intended air yards per pass attempt. This guy used to throw the ball downfield a lot. Didn't do it in this game. That was per ESPN. Your target per route run rate leaders with a minimum of 25 routes in week one were Tyreek Hill and Puka Nakua, tied for first. DeAndre Hopkins, Zay Flowers, and Calvin Ridley. Flowers Uh, had a 2.8 yard average depth of target for what it's worth. Those are... Wow. Rondell Moore kind of targets. Well, I have a lot of thoughts. I watched the entire race. He's offense. terrific. Isn't he He's terrific? Oh my God. He's cool. <laughs> Jaw dropping player. I just, I hate that I don't have any Zay Flowers. Uh, and the five worst quarterback EPAs per dropback, or yeah, expected points added per dropback were Joe Burrow, Daniel Jones, Kenny Pickett, Ryan Tannehill, and Josh Dobbs. And those quarterbacks, <laughs> those quarterbacks, at least the first four. I don't know about Dobbs. They were under pressure a lot. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Anything, Dan, or should we take a break? No, we can move on. All right. We'll take a break. We got five big questions to get to. They'll be at the end of the show because I want Dan and Jacob to give all the stats and film review that they want. But we'll talk about uh, tight end position after week one, which, of course, didn't feature the two best tight ends in fantasy. The Rams running backs, good ride, great wide receivers on bad offenses, the Seahawks offense, and why we should even bother playing fantasy football anymore. (laughs) We will be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, at least people aren't overreacting after week one, right? Uh, Let's get to some snap count stuff. Zach Charbonnet only played 24% of the snaps. Mm -hmm. Ken Walker led the team in third down snaps as well. Uh, But, you know, would would it be surprising to see Charbonnet play more in week two? No. And Ken Walker was not the two-minute drill guy. So that's worth noting. Kyron Williams played two-thirds of the snaps. Cam Akers played 35%. Wow. Williams played 14 third-down snaps compared to three for Akers. 
I just don't know, guys, how you could even look at that backfield right now and say that that Kyron Williams isn't ahead of Cam Akers. It could be one of those things that flips next week, and, and maybe there was a reason for it, and it's a fooled you. We have seen that before. I remember a few years ago, Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown and Cam Akers as a rookie, I think, and we couldn't figure it out. But, gosh, week one is a is a knockout win for Kyron Williams, Jacob. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. 10% route involvement rate for Cam Akers, 74% for Kyron Williams. Williams got more carries from inside the 10. There's no way around it. Like everything looks better for him and Cam Akers, that's tough. I don't know. Like he was somebody I was pretty much all the way out on and I just don't see, I don't know. He's barely rosterable in my opinion. Obviously you have to hold on him and hope for more, but that's about as bad as it gets. Okay, um, Williams. Zero my rosters as well, Jacob. We were on the same page there. Yeah, same actually. Easy fade. Maybe one, but if it happened, it was reluctantly. Kyron Williams, 11% rostered, will certainly be Ooh. added in many leagues. Uh, Kyle Pitts played only 62% of the snaps. But 90% round involvement rate. Yeah. I don't, we can just give up on him. That's fine. But (laughs) that freaking offense, man, like they won the game 24 to 10. And that is like the worst thing that could have happened. If you have Kyle Pitts and Drake London on your fantasy teams, because now, you know, Arthur Smith's like, well, look, it worked. He loves it. He loves it so much. Played 90% of the snaps and didn't catch a pass. What did he have? One target. target. Yeah. One target. Come on. He threw 18 passes. Uh, they're going to play Green Bay, Detroit, and Jacksonville in their next three games. I really hope that they can't run, that they can't throw 18 passes. I hope it's more mm-hmm. like 30. But also, Ritter was bad. You know, I was reading, I didn't watch all of that, but I was reading about it today in one of the Atlanta papers, and he just was apparently just bad or, or, or not good at all. Uh, Tank Dell played only 48% of the snaps. That was fourth most among Houston receivers. You know, mm-hmm. could be patient there. But Damian yeah. Pierce played only 45% of the snaps. Mike Boone was the third down guy. Boone played 11 third down snaps. I mean, Mike Boone? Wow, that's a surprise. I came off Pierce at the very end of the draft cycle when I did a little research and looked into the injuries on the Texans offensive line. Last year, they made a big trade up to get Kenyon Green, the offensive lineman. He got injured for the year. And then multiple of their injuries came across that line. They ended up starting four random guys that they weren't expecting to for the first game of that season. That offensive line could be an epic disaster for the entire season, given the situation and the fact that you cannot find offensive linemen across the NFL at this point. Like Giants fans, Samir, coming to me today. What are we going to do? Let's trade for an offensive line. Trade for an offensive lineman. What do you think? Teams just have backup offensive linemen they can afford to trade you. You're done. You don't have an offensive lineman now. You're done. There are no free agents. There's no trade options and that Texans offensive line scares the hell out of me so I went off of Pierce at the very end of draft season for that reason and I I don't know I know you love him from a talent standpoint Jacob and I do too and there's some great stats from last year but I'm, I'm very very nervous about that situation me too yeah no the line definitely scared the crap out of me as the season as we're getting closer and closer to the season and then to see him come out and only play 47 percent of snaps not get passing downs that's definitely concerning yeah, but again, like you said, you don't want you don't run on the Ravens. Once no, they got Roquan yeah. Smith last year, they were they were just impenetrable basically. And I think I said if there was one, you know, probably start player that I was most nervous about in week 1, it was Damian Pierce and mm-hmm. I wanted to get away from him. So it's just the, kind of the worst possible thing. The fact that he's not the third down back in week 1 is troubling, but we'll see if anything changes. Uh Rashad Bateman played 34% of the snaps. Beckham and Flowers played most of the snaps. 
Christian Kirk only played 60% of the snaps. I was surprised by that. You know, I've got a list of all the receivers who came off of the field when their offense ran two receiver sets. Do you want to hear the fantasy yeah. of the guys? So Kirk and Bateman, you just mentioned. I Kirk, that's what we saw in the preseason. This is how they ran the offense. Zay Jones was on the outside. Kirk came off the field when they went to two receiver sets. So I'm a little bit worried about that. Bateman, I think we could see him take some of OBJ's role as the year goes on. I think they maybe ease them in. But the other guys, um, Jackson Smith and Jigba came off the field. Jaden Reed for the Packers. Jordan Addison came off the field in two receiver yeah. sets. Josh Downs, he actually drew a lot of targets, but yeah, he only played in three receiver sets. Curtis Samuel, of course. Trey Palmer. Elijah Moore. Rondell Moore. Yeah. Elijah Moore led the team in routes, but I think that had a lot to do with Amari Cooper getting banged up. Um, he did come off the field in two receiver sets. Um, and then, yeah, Tutu Atwell is the last one. So that's two, two receiver sets, right? Like, well, here, the thing about Kirk is it's not like he... Uh, played a lot more in the slot in week one than he did last year. I think it was like 71% slot rate in week one and 67% in 2022. So I figured if he came off the field in two receiver sets this year, he probably did last year too to Marvin Jones and Zay Jones. That was just my guess. But he he played, you know, mostly 85, 90% of the snaps per game last year. So I was just confused. And then uh, as far as the two receiver sets go, I mean, are those typically running plays anyway and don't, really matter jacob well you get a lot of play action throws which are really yeah. really efficient um from those sets and kirk did he played more than marvin jones from two receiver sets if i remember correctly i'm pretty okay. sure i dug into it this offseason all right yeah kj osborne played ahead of, of addison is in the two receiver sets i mean osborne mm -hmm. played 91 percent addison 56 percent. but that's the kind of thing you could see that changing fairly early yep. in the season that yeah for sure Rashad Addison was really, really good when he was on the field for what it was worth. He demanded like 30% of the targets, I think. 21% target share, 36% area to share when he was on the field. Rashad White and James Conner are basically every down backs. Are they good? Are they on good offenses? You know, these are questions, but it's something to think about. I mean, these guys really don't come off the field much. Um, I, I watch the Bucks offense too for the run game, so we can get to that a little bit later. All right, we will get to that. Uh, last few things here. All three Bears running backs played 21 to 29 snaps. Rashawn Johnson, I think, had really a lot of the garbage time stuff. Raheem Mostert played 30 more snaps than Savan Ahmed. And Javante Williams and Samaj Piran played the same amount of snaps and had pretty similar stat lines, but Williams had five more carries. Uh, and Kendrick Bourne played 91% of the snaps, and Juju played 54% mm -hmm. of the snaps. Was he one of the guys who came off the field, Jacob? Juju? Juju? The, he just barely played in the second half. I don't know. They said that it's like situational, and maybe that they just wanted other guys who were more vertical threats when they were trying to catch up. But yeah, he, I'm worried about his health. Let's get some film study from, uh, from our librarian. Dan Schneier. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking down the film with the projector. Yeah, you got to go old the stacks for, uh, <laughs> the what? in the library stacks, in the library stacks. Oh man. They're just, just hearing that word stacks reminds me of college when I used to grind out like 10 hours of study before a final after I barely went to class that oops, I didn't mean to say that on air, no, but listen, um, I'm sorry. Like, I, I actually would hate it if you did what I'm about to do to you, if you did to me. So you're right. not allowed to do it, but I'm, I'm sorry if I, if I reminded you of Wisconsin because they, <laughs> Oh, no, no, We're really no, bad no. this weekend. Don't even bring that up. They didn't play really bad. They got completely screwed. <laughs> they by did the get screwed. Yeah, they did. Pac-12 game, and it reminds every Wisconsin fan of that other Pac-12 game from a couple years ago, where the refs admittedly made one of the worst mistakes in the history of refing. And I just just disgusted with Pac-12. <laughs> <Refing. refs. laughs> 
Dis- yeah, refing. <laughs> Disgusted with back- officiating. Disgusted with Pac-12 refs. They don't belong in the pro- – get rid of it. Get rid of the Pac-12. Get rid of those Was it refs. Pac-12 refs for a Pac-12 home game? It's never like that. It's usually – a different conference, or the I don't know who that is refing these Pac-12. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was it's disasters that go down in every Pac-12 game I watch. Okay, and I'm sick of it. And anyway, let's get back to the show. Film okay. review, film review. What do you got? Film review. I'm going to start with the Lamar Jackson Ravens offense because we did with side. Yeah, that was one we really wanted to pinpoint, Adam. So some things I noticed from the the Ravens offense: a lot of pre-snap motion and misdirection out of eleven personnel from the shotgun. So that's the first thing that we're going to see that's different from the Greg Roman days in Todd Munkin's offense. And this was something that worked really well for teams like the Giants last year when Mike Kafka uh, and Brian Dable introduced it. It did not work well in this game, in my mind. A couple times they were able to get Flowers going with this, and we'll talk about some of that. But I think the issue was the Texans were really uber prepared for what they were going to do, for what Munkin was going to do, which is surprising considering he didn't really have much film. And this is all first half, by the way. I'll talk about how different things were in the second half versus the first half. But I want to say this. D'Amico Ryans, the new head coach of the Texans, is insanely underrated as a defensive schemer and coordinator. I know people know him as good, but he's taking over this Texans defense, and I think there is going to be a big Situa- a situation here where people are just not realizing how good this Texans defense could be this year because of Ryan's alone. There was pressure. One of the key takeaways from this game, watching it on tape, there was pressure in Lamar Jackson's face on a consistent basis. I don't know if the stats bear this out, Jacob and Adam, but on film, and it was less so in the second half, but on film in the first half, it was a disaster. I talked about earlier how there were injuries to Ronnie Staley and Linderbaum. Yes, they played most of the game, but they didn't look that good even when they played. Um, a few interesting things to bring out early. A lot of bubble screens in this offense to the mm-hmm. wide receivers, specifically Zay Flowers. Just get the ball out fast to him on the on their outside. Hope the blocking can come. I felt like the biggest issue in this game for me, Adam, was a lot of the route combinations from Todd Munkin we're just not creating much separation at or at all early on. Like, yes, there was some pressure, but also Lamar Jackson dropping back, and there was not much separation whatsoever, which was surprising to me given the upgrades they've made at wide receiver. I thought the first interception to Zay Flowers was a horrific uh, decision by Lamar Jackson. Zay Flowers ran a third on third and six. He ran a crosser. Jackson was incredibly late with the ball. It has to come out way in front of the receiver. Instead, he threw it behind him. Terrible throw right there. Jackson, at least in the first half to me, did not look comfortable within the new system, which is to be expected. Yeah. Um, and no Mark Andrews, right? Let's you know. no Mark Andrews hurts as well. Yeah. But things started to get a little better. Uh Good. just for those following along in the first quarter with 139, if you want to check it out on Game Pass. Lamar Jackson had a really nice whole shot on a third and five to uh Zay Flowers. That means in between the coverage. He looked off the safety on the right. Um, this is the type of stuff I expect to happen more as he gets more comfortable. But there were also some really exotic pass brush looks from D'Amico Ryans and the Texans. They ran a cover zero on a third and long that crushed Lamar Jackson. The pressure was just constantly getting there. A lot, a few more cover zero looks I saw. One thing I also want to point out, though, about this game, and this was, I put it up on Twitter for those who want to check it out. I want to see the film on this. There was a route on, let me see what it was. I don't remember the down and distance. There was a Zay Flowers pivot route that he ran. And just for those who don't know, a pivot route is when the wide receiver runs kind of what looks like a drag route underneath and then pivots and breaks back toward the outside. The amount of separation that he created on this pivot route from the corner 
And then for him to catch it and the ability to turn up field so smoothly. And so, and this was the type of stuff you saw if you watched his Boston College film. He was my favorite receiver to watch in this draft class. I thought Jackson Smith Jigga was the best receiver, but he was my favorite to watch. It was explosive. It was exciting. He created another 15 yards of separation. That's the type of stuff that you look at and you say, Zay Flowers could be that rookie wide receiver who breaks out. But again, my main takeaways here is Lamar looks a lot more comfortable in the second half. Wasn't as comfortable in the first half. I think they adjusted well to the blitzing and to the pressure that um, the Texans were doing with D'Amico Ryans. But there are definitely some kinks to be worked out here. And as I said earlier, Adam, this is the worst I've seen the Ravens offensive line look in a long time. And that does scare me a little bit. Okay. I, oh, one final thing. One final thing. Uh-huh. And I put this one up on Twitter too, just like the Zay Flowers clip. If anyone wants to go check it out, there was a route that Odo Beckham ran at the end, toward the end of the game. And I think you guys saw it. It was a big long catch down the left sideline. Yep. That was vintage OBJ because the release he had on the line of scrimmage made it, sold it completely to the cornerback like he was going to break toward the post. And then he breaks back outside, stacks the corner perfectly to get on top of him, giving the corner no chance to make a play on the football, and then extends fully for the football, brings in the catch. That was what Odell Beckham looked like in his prime. I know people are worrying, wondering if he's back, if he's done, if he doesn't have anything left in his game, but he had it there. And I'm still a little bit pretty – I was excited about OBJ in the preseason. I remain excited about him now. Yeah, he only had three targets on 22 pass attempts, but he did draw two pass interference penalties. So that doesn't count, but you know they were productive plays for the Ravens. I asked you to watch the running backs in the Minnesota-Tampa Bay game because they weren't really great. Madison scored, had a nice touchdown. Uh, I think it was a catch. But uh, what did you think of Madison and Rashad White? So I may have misinterpreted you on this one, oh, Adam. Sorry. I thought you were thinking about just the Bucks running backs. Oh, that's fine. We'll have to get back to the Minnesota running backs. But as far as the Bucks running backs go... Um, Here's my thoughts on what I saw from the Bucks running backs. There are two plays that I put up on Twitter as well. Second and four run with 35 seconds left in the first quarter, and then a third and four run right after that. On both of these runs, Rashad White processed them incredibly poorly. On the first one, second and four with 35 seconds left in the first quarter, White simply needs to plant, get vertical, and get through the hole. It was blocked up really well. The Bucks, the Bucks executed an excellent double team up front, and then this next off, and then the other offensive lineman got to the second level, sealed off. This he decided to bounce outside, and it turned into a gain of zero. This would have been a minimum of five if he just planted, got vertical through that crease. Minimum of five. He could have broke it. If it's a good running back, could break that for a long one. Then on third and four, they run this outside run from shotgun. It's well blocked again, almost even better blocked. But White continues to flow vertic- horizontally on this. Doesn't plant to get vertical when he has this wide open gap. He could easily plant and get vertical, pick up the first down. Yeah. Doesn't do it again. Yeah. Very next drive. I'm watching them right now. <laughs> Very next drive, Sean Tucker starts the, starts the next drive. I don't know what that means, but he has a really good run on that first drive. He makes a defender miss who gets immediate penetration in the backfield. Just I feel like Sean Tucker does such a better job of using his feet to decisively move. And one thing I saw on Rashad White's tape coming out of college, which really bothered me, I thought he was an interesting playmaker who could be good in the passing game, but I, bought, I didn't like the way he ran. I thought he processed poorly. It was just... This hesitation he has. I know it worked for Le'Veon Bell at one point. He's really the only running back I've seen make it work. But it seems like every time he gets the football behind the backfield, he's just hesitant. He's waiting. He's hesitant. And that split second often kills him. It often, the, the you know, the crease in the hole 
it closes up. You don't have that much time as a runner. You have to be decisive. You have to get vertical in a lot of these spots. And also, I just felt like his jump cuts, he had a few jump cuts in this game. They're just not smooth. He takes these massive jump cuts, Rashad White, and he loses a lot of time and ground when he does it. Um, so the blocking wasn't great. Like there were some runs where it just wasn't blocked up well for white, but there were a lot of good examples also of situations where, you know, white missed a lot of yards. He didn't process the, the yards well. And it, it's again, it's not something I didn't expect coming into this game, but it's something that is happening. And I'm curious to see how long this leash is going to be for Rashad white, because I'm not pressed at all. Yeah, that's I, concerning. I told you about the, uh, you know, playing 80% of the snaps, but I don't think he's a buy low personally. He was really bad as a rusher last year. He was worse than Lynn Fournette. Um, so that's definitely concerning. Really, the target upside is what can maybe save him for fantasy. He was a really good receiving prospect, um, and he drew targets at a higher rate than Fournette last year. And we know Fournette has had multiple seasons with 80-plus targets. So that's kind of the saving grace for, for White. But yeah, he struggled a lot as a rusher last year, and I thought maybe there was just going to be a learning curve for him because he didn't have a ton of college reps. Um, so to see him doing the same thing right out the gate is definitely a concern. Chris Towers on FFT and five said that Rashad White's next gen stats were just awful in terms of, you yeah. know, he was like a minus something horrible in terms of the yards expected or what he should have gotten. I don't remember whatever the hell it was, but this is an advanced stat show. So the one that I don't really know the name of, but uh, is cool said that uh, Rashad White was really bad yesterday. So there you Most go. Most of them say that he was really bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I watched some Anthony Richardson film. I wanted to see it for myself because I'm so far so bad on my Anthony Richardson call. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, through 37 passes, which I didn't know if he'd get to that in more than a, just Can a I say something real quick, Adam? I feel like you got backed into this like strong stance yeah, on Anthony a little Richardson. Bit. You kind of like made it like a joke at first and like you said your thing and like we were all at the point in time I feel like it was like everyone bring out a hot take like it was part of like the segment whatever we were on and then they just barreled you into this like feeling of like I hate Anthony Richardson I'm the harshest on him so yeah, I don't think right. like I don't think it's been the fairest thing but go on no, I take responsibility for it but uh look um he was where whereas CJ Stroud every time there was pressure on CJ Stroud he was running for his life trying to make something happen and it didn't always work Richardson did a great job just getting the ball out of his hands. He was very decisive, but everything was short. He threw two passes of 20 or more air yards, and they were barely 20 or more air yards. He didn't throw downfield really once the entire game. He had one play that was a scramble where he threw it downfield like a prayer to uh, one of the tight ends, Mo Alley Cox. And then he had one to Michael Pittman that he overthrew. And I think the fact that he overthrew it was the only reason that it ended up being 20 air yards. It was like a 16-yard throw. But... You know, so th there's that. I mean, he didn't do anything. The game plan was extremely simple. He executed it pretty well, though. I was impressed. Fourth quarter was rough for him. It was by far his worst quarter. Um, I don't know why he only had 25 rushing yards. Or, no, he had 40, I guess, at the end. But that's still kind of low for him. He needs more than that. Did he have a 42-yard rush come back? Because at one point I looked he and he had 70-something rushing yards, and then that got taken away. I don't know what happened. If that got Yeah, I, I think he did, actually. Uh, but 23 fantasy points in week one is outstanding. Gets a pretty tough test next week with Houston. It'll be a nice chess match. Surprisingly tough test, yeah. On Richardson, the big thing to me is the pace with which they're playing. Indianapolis played at the fastest pace of any team in the preseason, and that was really exciting, but who knows what's going to translate. Week one, they played at the second fastest pace. The Patriots played insanely fast. I don't know if anybody else noted that, but like 14.4 remaining seconds per play on the clock for the Patriots. Is there any way... 
Jacob to determine if that was true in both halves, the first, like, because I wonder if that's because they fell behind so quick. I can look into that. I do have situation neutral pace and the Patriots were still by far the highest. The Colts okay. actually dropped wow. a little bit. And when the game was close, they were playing catch up and that yeah. raised that pace a little bit. For that's Indianapolis. a little Brian thing. The other thing for you hit on Adam for Anthony Richardson, 5.8 yard average depth of target. Um, just real quick here, the lowest eight odds. I put this in the chat for the YouTube guys. We've talked about several of these guys though. 3.1 Justin Fields, 3.5 Desmond Ritter. We talked about a little bit earlier. 50% of Desmond Ritter's pass attempts went to the running back group. Yeah, right. Four for Russell Wilson, 4.6 for Lamar Jackson, 4.9 for Geno Smith, and then 5.8 for Anthony Richardson. Where was Jones? I feel like he was low last night, A dot or maybe. Daniel Jones, six. I mean, he's always low. Yeah. Oh. No, that that's and that's not Sorry, even, guys. his he <laughs> had no, more sacks than air yards per pass attempt. Seven sacks, six yards per pass them. Air yards. Uh, um, all right, we got to take a break. We have five minutes for five big topics. We've actually covered a lot of them, but we'll yeah, end we the show. The yeah, we did the Seahawks. We didn't do the Seahawks, actually. Oh, that was really interesting. I'd love to tell you what I noticed in the stats buried out in the, for the Seahawks passing game and okay. what the hell happened with them. So that's one of yeah, our last that's topics. The big one. We'll be right back. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. There's a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Five big topics from our audience. <laughs> Vanderbilt, baby, let's go. Uh, I never get those. I never hit those breaks right. Jeff Warren says, how should we approach the tight end position when players like Waller and, God and Goddard didn't get any targets, but didn't get the targets? Uh, your top tight ends of week one were Hunter Henry. They all started with H. Hunter Henry, Hayden Hurston, TJ Hawkinson. And then Donald Parham, Evan Ingram, Blake Bell, Cole Komet. Only six tight ends caught a touchdown in week one. Uh, Dan, how should we approach the tight end position? I think similar to how we've approached it the past few years, it's becoming random, almost like kickers and defenses to some extent. When you look at it on a weekly basis, it's Kelsey or bust to me still. Uh, maybe Andrews can change that when he comes back. I think if, like I said, the situation with, and look, Dallas Goddard will have his random good games. The situation with Waller continues. Like, I don't know if I can trust Waller to be what I thought he was going to be preseason if Andrew Thomas is injured and that O-line is a disaster. But wait so, a second. Wait a second. Let's, let's go to yeah. the Chargers. Let me give you Darren Waller's first half rates here. 86% round involvement rate, 42% target share, 55% air yardage share. And he's as not going to be a downfield guy. So, I like if, if Andrew Thomas is hurt, he has a hamstring injury. It's not like he's out for the year like Slater was basically out for most right. of the year, right? So, let's say he just misses a few games. But even still... I think he can. I think he can overcome it because he's going to have a, a fairly low A dot, and he's still going to be the number one target. It's going to hurt the offense if they lose the maybe the best one of the best so tackles in my football. Thought, my thought he's, behind it, Adam, like Keenan is Keenan Allen is was not, fine. You know, who 
Keenan Allen was fine when he was healthy. Yeah, for Keenan Allen's fine because you can just hit those quick slots. But my thought behind it is like, just I'm wondering from just an NFL like X's and O's standpoint, like does the offense change so much where now you're just a run, run, run team that runs play action, bootleg, throw the ball, dump the down, like that type of thing? Because I saw that a lot from the Chargers last year. I don't think year. they can do it, Dan. Their, their schedule, they're going to give up too many points. Yep. They're going to okay. give up too many points, I think. Yeah, it's about definitely definitely a possibility as well. I right, listen. Not, don't I'm worry about the tight ends, right? You got you got you have your top two guys back next week. Hopefully, I think right. Jacob and I are encouraged by Waller. Goddard, Jacob, what's your thought on that? And I'll tell you, there were only three games last year where all three of the top receivers for the Eagles, the two receivers and Goddard, all three of them had fifty or more yards in the same game. It happened only three times last wow. year. I talked about that math problem. It's going to show up sometimes like this, but Nick Sirianni was like, this can never happen again with Dallas Goddard. What are your thoughts, Jacob? Yeah, I think he's too good to not score more points than that. He ran 95% of the routes, um, which is the highest of any tight end in week one. So in your point per route run leagues, you did great. (laughs) Um, In actual leagues, yeah, it, it sucked. But I think if you look at Dallas Goddard's per route data over his career, he's actually one of the best tight ends in the NFL right now. And it's going to be better than this. I think Jalen Hurts was rusty. Like you said, the first team offense didn't really play in the preseason. I think it's going to get better. And I just want to read the quote from Sirianni. This reminds me a lot of last year against the Lions. That was week one. Devontae Smith had no catches against the Lions last year. This year it was Dallas. We can't go a game without getting him the football. He's too good of a playmaker. But there are some things that the Patriots did that made it difficult for us to be able to get him some quick, easy touches. That happens, and so some of the plays that you think you can get easy touches for your guys quick don't necessarily happen for your backs and tight ends when you play a Patriots-style defense. So again, hats off to them. All right, let's go to the Rams running back usage. That's the second topic, but I think we covered that, guys. Yeah, we did. Would, would you take? Would you just straight up take Kyron Williams over Cam Akers rest of season? No, there's more upside with Akers. I think this what we saw last week was like the absolute best case outcome for Kyron. Um, he's never been a good rusher. He's not a good athlete. Um, so I'm not excited about him. I mostly just want to stay away from the situation entirely. Right. Same. All right. Well, if they're going to be better than we expected, then maybe we shouldn't stay away from it entirely. I mean, I thought they were going to be dreadful. But... It's been a terrible situation for running backs, even when the Rams have been good. Right. In terms of expected fantasy points at the running back position. Yeah, Unless you they get back get back to like the girly levels, but I don't I don't oh, know yeah. if they're back to that. Oh, girly is no. different. Uh, this one's from Dan. What to do with great receivers on bad offenses? Now calling them bad offenses is one thing. I think you're saying maybe bad passing games. Sure. He's saying Drake London, DJ Moore, and DeAndre Hopkins. They had very different games, especially Hopkins because he had a True. ton of targets and he was shadowed by Marshawn Lattimore. Not shadowed, but he faced Lattimore a lot. Lattimore didn't really move around, but. He was on Lattimore's side a lot. Lattimore had a great game. I would say he he kicked Hopkins' ass personally. But um, what do you do with London, DJ Moore, and Hopkins, guys? I'm a little worried that Hopkins might be washed. He got like uh, I mean I've, I was a little worried about that going into the year, and I've heard that from real life NFL people. And then he got the absolute best possible. He was the first read on 42 percent of Tennessee's targets. No one was higher um, in Week One. 85% of his targets were catchable. True Media had it at 100%. He got seven. No way. That's I what, disagree with that entirely. It's two, different, it's two different data providers both saying the same thing. I mean, he was blanketed on some of his throws, and two of them were intercepted because he was blanketed on them. I don't. Those count. They have to count. I mean, yeah. I don't. I, I, watched, I watched that game film. Um, 
he did not really get open that much. He got it's a right. few times, but I feel like that's not really what the what makes DeAndre Hopkins so special. He's a contested catch guy. He did not make contested catches in this game. But I'm a little yeah, I'm a little worried that the age is starting to show. I just haven't really watched enough Hopkins film to compare it. But I would say this: if you never watched a football game and you watched the film of Hopkins in Week One, you wouldn't really be impressed. Yeah. What's uh, scare? Yeah. And moving on, what scares me a lot about the Drake London situation? He was a player I love. Just talent is through the roof. He could be an actual breakout star wide receiver. All these Garrett Wilson hype, all that if he had a good quarterback situation and if he had a good passing situation, but I just don't un- like if they're winning games, Atlanta, they're not going to change how they won these games and they're not winning these games by throwing the football. So I hope, I guess there will be situations where they need to throw and then we can go back to London, but it's scary because at the end of the season, when Ritter came in, London had a great target share. Things were looking okay. It looked like he figured out at least a way to move the ball with his arm going to London but that didn't happen this week. As Jacob mentioned, almost all, you know, hard, huge majority of the targets went to running backs, which, you know, is what it is. But I'm scared as hell from that situation as well. Um, and then was the, who was the last receiver? The last there? one was DJ, DJ Moore. And, Moore. I, and I I didn't get a chance to watch all of this, but I do think he saw a pretty good share of, of Jair Alexander in this game. I'll try yeah. to Google that and see if I can. I'll say this that. about that situation. Well, that may be true, Adam, and Jair Alexander has obviously done a good job against Justin Jefferson in the past, our last game. Though, to be fair, that was a lot of rolled coverage his way and a lot of actual using schematics to take him away, less Alexander, in my personal opinion. I'll say this, Adam. I was not impressed, and I haven't watched this whole game. I watched like a quarter of it on tape, and I have to watch it on tape, and I saw obviously some highlights through Red Zone. I was not impressed with the way Justin Fields moved that offense. I was not impressed with the way Justin Fields processed back there, which has been an issue for him his entire career. And if Justin Fields is going to process as poorly as he did as a passer, I don't care that DJ Moore is the number one receiver. I don't care that things worked in training camp. I talked about this with Giants fans last night. Like you get this hype out of training camp. Training camp is padless practices against your own team. Preseason is not anything. These scrimmage these that they have in the preseason they're not worth real and they're not really they're worth two percent of what an actual game is worth and so listen if justin fields can't keep the offense on track in rhythm and he can't process the passing game i am worried about dj Moore and anyone who would be a receiver there and it's not a dj Moore issue and it's not even like a targets in game one issue or who's guarding him it's more of a justin fields issue so i have to track that adam because i need to see improvement there from justin fields and a major jump at this point I was extremely worried about DJ Moore. It's a Justin Fields issue and it's a math issue just with the number of dropbacks that they have that actually lead to targets in Chicago. And week one was as bad as it could have been on both accounts. Um, I wouldn't view him as a top 30 receiver going forward. I think oh, I had him, wow. I had him at like 30 going into nope. the year. I, I don't, if I did my rings right now, I don't know if I'd have him as a top 36 or But he threw 37 forward. passes, Justin Fields. Yeah, Didn't and he? he produced like 112 air yards or something, and he was off target on like 25 wow, well, of them. But that was, you know, that was weird because he was—he's been a pretty high air yards quarterback, right? Yeah, I mean, he, he's not no, afraid true. to chuck it deep. So I, I'm hoping that that changes. Look, just I would—I I mean, I would buy low on DJ Moore, but I wouldn't expect him to be good every week. I don't—I don't think he's going to win you your league. In order for him to be Stefan Diggs going to the Bills. Or Cooper Cup getting Matthew Stafford, the quarterback's going to have to be great. I don't, I don't think you can be a league-winning wide receiver with Justin Fields as your quarterback because Fields is just running too much, 
probably not going to throw 37 times most weeks. They're not going to get blown out every week. So I, I get that. The ceiling is capped. He, maybe there was a little bit too much hype. But, I mean, look, you're, he was being drafted in the same area as DeAndre Hopkins, a little bit ahead of Drake London, same area as DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel. Debo wasn't great. He was a lot better than DJ Moore. Not many of those guys had big week ones that I can think of off the top of my head. So he's a he's a number two wide receiver, I think. I mean, I wouldn't be I'm not like jumping to buy low on him or anything like that, but I don't think he's gonna be outside the top thirty, Jacob. But all right. So you called your shot. You called your shot. I do think Jair Alexander had a lot to do with this game because I, I saw a headline that said he blanketed DJ Moore, but I it was behind a paywall, which is really annoying. So I didn't get to read it, uh, but that's something to keep in mind here. And his next game is against Tampa Bay, which is a respectable secondary. All right, uh, the Seahawks offense is our last topic. And the big thing here is that uh, the Rams just took away the deep ball. It, and the Seahawks yeah. barely had the ball. They had the ball I've for like deep, 20. I've got detail on that if you want to. Yeah, less than 21 minutes, I think, of possession. And this team lived on the deep ball and the big play. And Geno Smith was so good at it last year. What can you tell us about what happened in week one? The Rams used a ton of cover four and cover six. They used cover four 37% of the time, up from 11% last year. They did not have a defensive coordinator change. So that was a game-specific thing that they did here. They used cover six 24% of the time, up from 15%. Those two coverage schemes keep things in front of the defense. They lead to short passing. And Geno Smith has actually been decent against them, but his average depth of target has fallen way, way down when he faces those two schemes. And in the second game against the Seahawks last year in week 18, um, we saw the Rams use these schemes a lot more and Geno struggled in that game. So if I had to guess, I think they learned something there. They came out and really emphasized this. They had all offseason to prepare for week one and it bothered Geno. And if I had to guess, it's going to be better for Seattle going forward. Well, it's not going to be better if Cross and Lucas, their two starting tackles, don't get back, but they will need that because they lost. Uh, Cross played 75% of the snaps. Lucas played 69% of the snaps. So that that was a tough they blow leave, for them. What they leave with Adam injury-wise? I'm not say. sure, okay. honestly. I'll take a look at that after. Um, they look great. The first two possessions, Seattle really went down the field. They scored 10 points on two possessions, and then after that, they just couldn't convert. It reminded me so much of the Broncos from last year. They couldn't convert a third down. They couldn't possess the ball. Um, so anything anything to say here? I mean, are these guys buy lows? I think DK, I don't know if DK scored the touchdown if people are buying low, but Lockett was was I think I think yes, buy low on these guys. Yeah, okay. I think it depends solely on the health of those two tackles. If both are out for an extended period of time, I think this offense will turn into an absolute disaster. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Good job. All right. Yeah, this is fun. Beyond the box score, take one. Yeah. Yeah. um, I want to thank everybody for watching. We had a great audience here on YouTube. Please hit the like button if you enjoyed what you saw. Back with the waiver wire on Tuesday morning with Dave and Jamie. And it's actually going to be delayed a little bit, uh, about 9.15. Usually we record around 8.40. Be about 9.15 Eastern. That's not Schneier's fault, I promise you. (laughs) And uh, go pack 12 reps. See you later.